are using your pew Bibles. It's on page 947. All right. Once you guys get there, say John the Baptist. All right. Here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. I'm sorry. Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness." And many will rejoice at this, at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of, of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their name. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. For five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Turn your attention to the screen. Repent, repent, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. A prophet is risen up among the people now. John the Baptist, they call him. And the Pharisees and the elders of the temple asked him if he was the Christ, if he was the Messiah, or if he was one of the prophets. And he answered them, No, I am the forerunner. I was sent to tell you that the Son of God is coming now. And this is the minute that John the Baptist was born for. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world.
Well, good morning again, Westside. And if you're wondering, that was Johnny Cash reading the Bible. All right? That's cool, and it doesn't really... I mean, it does have the point of everything, but when I found Johnny Cash reading the Bible, I was like, we're doing that for sure. Hey, we are glad that you're here. And like I said, this starts us off um, in Advent. And um, I uh, care a lot about, you know, uh, the, the church history and church calendar, but I also know, man, a lot of us didn't grow up in church. We don't know what this is about. We've got candles, this, that, and the other. What is Advent and, and what does this even mean? Um, the word Advent literally means the arrival or the coming of. And it comes from a translation of a Greek word that's used over and over again in the New Testament. But here's what's really important. Advent is not Christmas and Christmas is not Advent. Advent is the season of time leading up to Christmas. And what that does is it fills us with anticipation as we wait on that day. And Advent really serves three purposes. The first thing that we do is we look back to see what all God has done. In the Christmas story, it says all the time, as the prophet prophesied, or as it was told, or as it was said, and we see all that God did back in the Old Testament and in the Scriptures. But we don't just look back, we also look around to see what God is doing in the here and the now. And then the big portion of Advent for us is we look forward to what God will do. You see, there are two Advents in the Scriptures. The first one when Jesus Christ came, which we celebrate. But also for Christians, we celebrate and wait in anticipation. This is a great spot for an amen. As to when Jesus Christ will return again. Jesus is coming back. And so this season is like twofold. We look back and we see how the people of God waited and how God worked. And that prepares us for when Jesus will come again. But I love the church advent because it really, it really prepares us for the true Christmas. And I love what one theologian N.T. Wright said. Christmas makes us cozy. But Advent calls us to stay awake. And you see, throughout church history, the season of Advent is a time of preparation, reflection, and all of those things. As I was reading in our devotional, our church Advent devotional, and we're out of those, you can actually pick them up on Amazon. They're by Paul David Tripp. It's called, um, Come Let Us Adore Him. He had a word to the parents about Christmas. And Advent, and I thought it was so beautiful. He said these words. In a culture that uses this season to get children to dream about how their lives would be made better by possessing a certain material thing, where Christmas has been reduced to a shopper's nightmare and a retailer's dream, it is vital to draw the wonder of our children away from the next toy and toward the wonder of the coming of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the message. And I love it because the church historically celebrates Advent in the darkest time of the year. And the church is filled with lights and it's filled with candles. And really what Advent is, 
is it's almost like a resistance message to the brokenness of the world, the darkness, the addiction, the heartbreak, the depression. A light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a season of hope. And there's so many characters, there's so much. I'm coming up on eight years now of of celebrating Advent, and I find something new each year as we come back to this Christmas story. And and this year, there's, there's so many characters, there's so much that you can focus on. But this year, if you already haven't got the message from Kidside and Johnny Cash, we are focusing on the character John the Baptist this Advent season. And there's a, a big reason why, but, but maybe to set us up as to where we're going. Does this name sound familiar to you? And it's the name Bill Livingood. This is a great last name, by the way, Livingood. Bill Livingood. This is a picture of him. Um, if you're like me and, and you're kind of a nerd at heart, I love when there's a major announcement, whether it be, you know, um, the president speaking or some big thing on television. I love to see someone stand up and communicate. No matter how advanced we get as a society, we could be going to the moon, but it still requires President John F. Kennedy to stand up and say words. And one of the great moments in our nation is when the president of the United United States. Some people would say the most powerful man of the most powerful nation in the world gives his State of the Union address. And there's a moment where it's all busy and both parties are there and some are standing up in joy and some are sitting down in protest and there's all of this stuff and then there is a moment that breaks the silence and it's just Eight words. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. And then he walks in and everybody cheers. And it's just an incredible moment. The person that announces that is called the Sergeant at Arms. And Bill Livingood is the longest tenured sergeant at arms in American history. He did it for close to 18 years when he would come in and announce, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. You say, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, listen, if you're wondering who John the Baptist is, John the Baptist is this. But instead of, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, John the Baptist stands up and says, Ladies and gentlemen, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Sovereign Ruler of the Universe, Jesus Christ. You see, John the Baptist is called the forerunner of Jesus And I think for us to celebrate and prepare for this Advent season, there is no better person to study than John the Baptist himself. And so for some of you Bible trivia nerds, here's some of your context and some of the information on John the Baptist. John's birth was prophesied multiple, multiple times in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, apart from Jesus Christ, nobody else's birth was predicted or prophesied more than John the Baptist. 
He is mentioned over 60 times in the Bible. All four Gospels, listen to this, this is a big deal. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels start with John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. John is actually related to Jesus in the scriptures. And most scholars would say that he is second cousins to Jesus Christ. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool. John actually is the one who baptizes Jesus. That's why he's called John the Baptist. And actually back then, it wasn't just religious Um, there were professionals who were called baptizers. And so back then, if you were preparing for a wedding, you didn't have that many clothes. And so you would take your finest clothes and take them to a baptizer, and they would dunk them in a certain color dye, and it would change the color of your clothes. And John the Baptist comes along, giving a baptism unto repentance, saying, prepare the way, get your hearts ready. Ladies and gentlemen, the King of Kings and... And the Lord of Lords. Jesus said, this is crazy. Jesus said that John the Baptist is the greatest person to ever be born of a woman. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus Christ says, do you want to know who the goat is? It ain't Tom Brady. It ain't Michael Jordan. It ain't LeBron. It ain't none of that. The greatest born among women is John the Baptist. That's a pretty incredible thing to have on your resume, if you ask me, that Jesus Christ said that you were the greatest. John is um, close to my heart because John is a PK. John's a preacher's kid. His dad, Zachariah, is a priest. And think about this. John is the greatest person to ever live according to Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist dies a martyr's death by getting his head cut off at the request of King Herod's mistress. And so it begs the question, why study the life of John the Baptist? Well, there's a number of answers and a number of ways that we could actually answer this. But we have to go back to when John was prophesied. And in the book of Malachi, I want you to do this if you have your Bible. If you're in Luke, I want you to turn to the left and go to the book of Matthew, all the way to Matthew chapter 1 in your Bible. Let me hear those. Oh, man, I love hearing those Bible pages turning. I can't hear the scroll. That was just a joke about fake Bibles. But anyway, go to Matthew chapter 1. And and if your Bible's like mine, to the left of Matthew chapter 1, you've got this page, and it's blank. Hold that kind of page up a little bit. And it says New Testament. Do you see that division there in your Bible? If you turn left, you have the book of Malachi and the last chapter. And the last verses in Malachi say this. This is how the entire Old Testament comes to a close. Malachi chapter 4 says this. Behold. Actually, um, a couple Advents ago, we learned about that entire word. Our whole Advent series was Behold. Anytime you see the word Behold in the Bible, you need to think, get ready, right? I'm going to say Behold, and I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. All right, Behold. Here it comes. God's about to say something, okay? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet 
before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And then here is that prophet's ministry. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Least I come and I strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You see, Elijah was considered the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And so when Malachi is prophesying about Jesus' birth, everybody was no different than today. When's it going to happen? What's it going to look like? What are the signs of the times? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Wars and all of that. And Malachi says, you will know that the great and awesome day of the Lord is coming when I send you the great prophet. Now, the Old Testament ends Right after these verses. It's done. You have that blank page. Now, in in our Bibles, in a Protestant Bible, you just have that blank page. And then the New Testament begins. Maybe maybe some of you grew up Catholic or, or you know about the Catholic background. And they've got this thing called the Apocrypha in the middle of the two Bibles. That was actually never considered equal with Scripture throughout church history. What the Apocrypha was, was always considered historical records of what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, here's the kicker. Between the Old Testament, the end of Malachi, and the New Testament, Matthew, Luke, John, Mark 1, it's known as 400 years of silence. You say, what do you mean? Did people not talk? No, no, no. People talked. God didn't give a revelation for 400 years. There was no prophet that stood up and said, thus saith the Lord. There was no revelation. 400 years. That's twice what America, how old the U.S. is. Right? I mean, 400 years, there's generations and generations of people who were born and die. And there's no new revelation. There's no new miracle. There's no new, thus saith the Lord. What did they do? They kept doing the ceremonial rites. They kept telling the story of Israel. And they kept saying this. Don't miss this. God's going to send the Savior. God promised God promised. And one of the signs is, is that the great prophet's going to come. And that great prophet is going to prepare us for the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, you understand the context of the verses that we just read. Because, well, let's just go to the verses. Remember, 400 years of silence. And then remember what happened in the temple with John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah? He's at church performing his duties and an angel of the Lord appears, right? And then here's what it says in the verses. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. That's a big deal. Do you know why? Because those guys haven't been around for 400 years. And Zechariah knows what's going on. The angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Here it is, guys. This is my whole message right here, by the way. If you miss this, you get what you pay for, okay? 
But the angel said to him. Right there, 400 years of silence is broken. And God says something through one of his messengers. And look at it. The first thing after 400 years, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. And you shall call his name John. John the Baptist's birth is the earth-shattering, window-rattling moment when God comes through being faithful to a promise that he made 400 years ago. So, remember the question we asked? Why study the life of John the Baptist over Advent? And listen, here's the big idea, and I believe that this is a word for you today. Advent reminds us to never confuse God's silence for his absence. Oh, no, 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 you missed it. Advent reminds us to never confuse God's silence for his absence. I love the way that one scholar put it. Though the voice of God was silent over those 400 years, the hand of God was actively directing the course of events leading up to the birth of John the Baptist. I mean, even the fact that Zechariah was chosen to go into the Holy of Holies, there were like 300 priests And you had to put your name in this lot. Most priests never got to go into the Holy of Holies. The spot where God's presence dwelt. And it just so happens that Zechariah's name gets drawn on that day. God's hand was working faithfully for those 400 years. But God just wasn't speaking. So now, let's bridge the application from the text... To your life. What does this mean about not confusing God's silence with God's absence? Because I believe some of you are in a season in your life where you have been praying, you've been fasting, you've been seeking counsel, you have been begging God about that family conflict, about even just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, a child, anything. And you feel as though you get no special revelation. What am I supposed to do in this season? Well, the first thing is this. Um, Oftentimes, God uses silence to speak the loudest. Um, We love this Bible verse that pops up, you know, Hobby Lobby, all of that good stuff. Um, It says this in Psalm 46. God says... Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. When I read that verse, I thought, um, school teachers, you know what this is like, right? Um, in the chaos of the classroom, when everything's going crazy, um, all that stuff, you just kind of stand up front and you're just 
silent. You're just quiet. And you're just looking at the classroom. And then finally they figure out like, oh, what's going on? And then a hush falls over the classroom, hopefully, right, on something like that. Uh, You see, when I survey my life, I'm pretty shocked at the fact that how often I try to stay busy, I try to keep going, and how scary it is to actually be still and be silent and let God speak. I love what one theologian, uh, uh, Pink, says, right? The silence scares me because it's filled with truth. But I love what the early church father, Thomas Akemptis, says, In quiet and silence, the faithful soul makes progress. The hidden meanings of the scriptures become clear. And the eyes weep with devotion every night. Here's the line. Even as one learns to grow still, one draws closer to the Creator and farther from the hurly-burly of the world. The imitation of Christ. You see, we see Jesus do this. And this time of year, it, it takes an active resistance to sit and be still. So, notice too in the text that when Zechariah doesn't believe the prophecy, what does the angel say? You're going to be silent now until the baby's born. And some of the women are like, that's the, that's the Christmas miracle. A husband who's silent for nine months, right? <laughs> See, that joke works when I say it that way. But if it would have happened to a woman and I said it the other way, then it becomes offensive. But let's keep moving, okay? Let's keep moving, right? Oftentimes, we think that Zachariah got punished for that. But what if that was God's way of telling Zachariah, This is the only way that you can begin to fathom what I am doing. So if you're in a season where you feel like you're crying out to God and you're not hearing anything back, what if the move is for you to be still and be silent so you can recognize his voice through the piercing chaos around you? Oftentimes God used silence to speak the loudest. But the second and last thing is this. What am I supposed to do when God isn't speaking and I don't know what to do? Well, the answer is this. Continue to do what God last told you to do. It's right there in the verses, and I love it, in Luke 9, 1 through 8. Here's the phrase. Now, while he was serving. Oh, that's good. Actually, can we read this out loud together? And some of you are going to read it with grinted teeth. But that's okay. Still read it, right? Here we go. Now, while he was serving, as he was serving as priest, listen, doing the average day-to-day duties and responsibility in the ordinary mundane, pow, God shows up. The angel speaks in 400 years of silence. And then it goes on and the angel says this later on in the verses. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Can we just for a moment not try to whitewash the Bible, okay? One of the reasons why I love the scriptures is because they are brutally honest. Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't have kids. 
And back then, you were socially ostracized for that. You had no legacy. You had no one to carry on the name and or to take care of you. Hey, let's just get really real. Can you see in your mind's eye, Elizabeth, by the bed at night, crying, and Zachariah loving his wife, not knowing how to lead and help in that moment, just hugging her and crying with her. And they prayed, and they cried out to God as much as they could. But they never stopped. They continued doing what they were last told to do. And then the angel comes and says, all of those nights of you weeping and of you questioning and of you wondering, I am here to tell you that your prayer has been heard. Listen, do you know what we struggle with? We struggle with always wanting the extraordinary. God, give me a burning bush. God, tell me this. God, show up now and do this. But we are not faithful to do the ordinary, mundane things of loving our neighbor as ourself, of reading the scriptures and praying to God. It's all like sometimes when I'm counseling and people come to me with a problem and they're asking and they're speaking and they say this, what am I supposed to do? And I just simply say, well, here's some insight that I see, but listen, God's word never returns void. And praying together, I'll be praying with you. Listen, sometimes when I say that to somebody, I almost see their countenance and their body go, oh, that wasn't really the pray, read the Bible. I thought you were going to tell me to break up with them. But I didn't, you know, it's almost like want, because we want big things to do. And what if God is just simply saying, how about you be faithful with what I last told you to do? Some of you in this room right now are struggling. What's next? What am I supposed to do? I'm in this season in my life. I'm under conviction. I'm not serving like I'm supposed to be serving. I'm not supposed. And you want somebody to put the crisis together for you. But what God is simply saying is be faithful with what you know you're already supposed to be doing. It is not that difficult while he was serving. The Lord spoke unto him. Um, In closing, as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I'll never forget reading about a very famous story in World War II. There was a unit of soldiers who were on the front lines. And they were on the front lines. And it was brutal. And it was hard. And the sergeant had to make a decision They were running low on ammunition and running low on supplies. But they couldn't leave the front lines. They still had to hold their ground. So the sergeant and a majority of the troop left to go get ammunition and supplies. And he called on two of his most faithful soldiers. And he said, you stay here. You hold the line. And we will be back. And that was it. Those two soldiers stayed there two days and two nights, holding the lines with other troops further down. They were there in their portion. I mean, can you imagine? Night one rolls around, and then the sun, and you're waiting, and how much anticipation. I mean, every time they heard a noise, every time they saw somebody, it was, is that them? Is that them? And then finally, one day, they see them coming. 
They, those two soldiers were later interviewed. And they said, how did you keep hope? How did you not abandon your post? How did you guys survive? How did you not give up? And all oh, don't miss this. They said this. Our sergeant gave an order. And when our sergeant gives an order, we know he always follows through. And I'm here to tell you that our God gives promises. And when our God gives a promise, our God is faithful to keep that promise. Even if it's 400 years. But the question that's unto you today is this. 400 years. Imagine some of those people in that 400 years who were praying their whole life. And they never saw it come true in their lifetime. My question to you today is this. Are you okay if God answers your prayer outside of your schedule? Because God is faithful. And He is just. A few months back, we baptized a number of people. And one of them was a founding member's great-granddaughter. They started this church in the basement of their home over 50-plus years ago. And she was always quick to tell you, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. And they just, every step of obedience, they just did it and did it. And a great-granddaughter was baptized. She wasn't physically present to see it, but oh my, let me tell you, she saw it. All of those prayers and all of that faithfulness. What if this season, with all the hustle and bustle and all of the lights, is actually a time for us to just be quiet? And sit still. I challenge you with this. If you're reading the devotional, if you're trying to follow something for Advent to prepare for Christmas, what if when you did your time or whatever, instead of trying to barrel through that thing, read and journal and do all that, woo, I did it, right? What if you just started with two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, taking a breath? And being quiet. And see what God has to say. Father God, we come before you today recognizing that there are so many needs in this room. And oftentimes we enter in seasons where we feel like we are not hearing from you. But the reality is, God, may we never confuse your silence with your absence. You are not gone. For you are present and at work and faithful to continue to do what you promised. God, there are needs in this room that are insurmountable. But instead of looking to our needs and seeing how great they are, we look to our God and say how great you are. For just like that sergeant, you have made a promise and you are faithful to keep it. God, I pray for the faithfulness that that this community of believers would be faithful in the ordinary because ordinary obedience always leads to extraordinary opportunities. And just maybe when we're least expecting it, in the regular mundane routine, in the silence, we get the answer 
that pierces through 400 years what it feels like of silence, of doubt, of anger and hurt. And we hear these words. Don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. God, you are a promise maker and a promise keeper. And we praise you for that in this place. And we pray this all in the holy and in the just name of Jesus Christ. Amen.